So, this morning, I am pleasantly surprised. Um, last week, PJ got up here at the end of service and said that uh, Pastor Kyle would be speaking today, and at the end of service, I walked up to him and I said, thank you for making sure we have three people here next week. Um, so, one of two things happened. Either you look past the fact that I might be speaking today, or you forgot, and either way, ha-ha, <laughs> you're here. Um, so, with that being the case... Um, we're going to get back into the book of Acts today, and uh, last week, Pastor Scott set us up for what I truly believe is going to be an impactful series for our church. The fact that we can go through the book of Acts, this historical book, and look and see how God started the church, and it spread like wildfire throughout the world. So, with that being the case, we're going to look at something today that and, and as Pastor Scott said last week, Luke wrote Acts. With that being the case, we're going to look at a section of Scripture today that kind of is repeated from the end of Luke. So Luke, at the end of Luke, says, talks about the ascension of Christ. And at the beginning of Acts, he again talks about the ascension of Christ. It's almost like he makes this break in the middle. And this is the turning point from one book to the other. And we've got a lot to cover today. So, two things. If I start to talk fast, just work through it, right? Um, and, and the second thing is, if you're a note taker, you might want to get the pen ready. Um, we've got a lot to go over. So, if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. If you don't have a Bible uh, and you would like a Bible, we would like for you to follow along. If you would, raise your hand. We'll get somebody to get one to you couple in the front, three in the front. Very cool. Thank you, Heath. Starting verse 4. Acts 1 verse 4 it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, from John for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and while they were gazing into heaven, and while they were gazing into heaven as, sorry, my, see, that's why I struggled with it. Okay, so, and, <laughs> and, when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way in which you saw him go into heaven. It's kind of hard to read this up here, just saying. But I want to make sure that you guys see that we actually are taking this out of Scripture. Like, it, it, it's easy to have it in our notes, but I want to make sure you see that. Celebrations matter. 
Like, dates matter, victories matter, things matter when they happen. It's, it's, it's historical things that we celebrate, we look back at, and, and we're excited about. And in this next month, there's a, there's a, I don't know if you guys are into it like I am, but I love the month of, of March because of March Madness. All right, got one at least. All right. The two of us are going to have a good time. And so, um, with that being the case, like, I love that time, and, and it never fails. I'm a fan of a certain team. I'm not going to go into that today. But, and, and they always play memories of the big games because they want to celebrate the big victories. They want to celebrate the big moments. They, they want you not to forget what happened. And we know that big moments are important. Like, let's face it, if you're a husband in this room, you know there's certain days you can't forget and you have to celebrate. Like your anniversary. Stop looking at him. He's not forgot yet. Like, like let's face it, we, we know these things are important and we know we've got to remember them. My poor wife married somebody who is not romantic in the least. Like, I have to really work at trying to, to the, I, I'm not gifted with emotions. I'm not gifted with feelings. I'm not gifted with any of those things. And yet, even as dense as I am romantically, I understand the significance of an anniversary. I still don't know why she married me. Matter of fact, when, when I first asked her to, we had been talking for a little bit, and I asked her to be my girlfriend. I can tell you the date for sure on that day. It was January the 9th, 2005. And why I can tell you that is because I said something so stupid now that I look back at it. I still don't know why she married me again, but I said something so stupid, I remember it, right? So it was the 9th of January, and I remember 10 better than 9. So I said, hey, babe, would you be my girlfriend official tomorrow so I can remember the 10th? I don't know why she said yes. Um, but today we read about a story. But it's significant. It's a huge event in Christendom. And, and we read this usually, this section of Scripture, kind of extremely fast. We, we kind of get through it as quickly as we can because we're getting to the moment where the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples. And, 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 and as he does... The gospel is spread throughout the world. But if we miss what happens into this, with this, then we miss some of the beauty of the gospel. I've even heard this referred to before as the forgotten act of Christ. It's not forgotten in most, most Catholic realms if you're from that, but it is forgotten in most Protestant churches. We don't talk about it as much. So what is it? Well, let's get into it. So look at verse 4 and 5 as, as we go first again. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. First thing he tells them is to wait. How many of us are really good at waiting? 
Like, like there's, there's, there's two different kinds of us who wait at a restaurant, right? Like, we only wait for things we are excited about. If not, we're not going to wait for them at all. And so, like, but there's two different kinds of us. There's the person who's willing to, to say, all right, I'll wait for 45 minutes. And then ask at 20 and ask at 30 and ask at 35 and then ask at 40, where, where's your table and that sort of thing. Or there's the person who waits for an hour and 45 minutes who's scared to say anything even though they're dying inside. <laughs> like we all struggle with waiting and yet what happens in this is Jesus says, hey, wait for something, I've got something for you. But it's not just my promise, this is a promise from the Father. Here in this single passage, you see the Trinity at work. You see that the Father has promised this gift, and, and we can see this from, from the prophet Joel in the Bible or from the prophet Isaiah in the Bible, scriptures who declare that this is coming, this Holy Spirit is coming. And we see this and we understand this is coming from the promise from the Father, but it is sent by Jesus. And Jesus has said, you've heard this from me. You've heard this from me. You've heard this in a couple places. In John 14, 15 through 17, you can follow along with me. It says, if you love me, you would keep my commandments. This is Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for." He dwells with you and will be in you. Also, we see him referenced in John 6, 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He says you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be in you which is huge for us, right? Like, like we, we sometimes just kind of skip over this part, and yet it's Jesus who is saying, hey, look, I have to go, I have to, I have to leave. And we think sometimes if we read this and just miss the meaning of it, we think Jesus just bailed on everybody. I mean, can you imagine being one of the disciples? Look, bro, I quit my job for three years. My wife, not been around her very much. I followed you, trusted you, and now you're bailing out on me. But Jesus here doesn't say, I'm going to leave you alone. You're not going to be by yourself. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. See, if you're a Christian in this room, because of the promise from God and being sent by Jesus, Today, no matter what you're going through, no matter, no matter how significant, how tough that moment is, you are not alone. You still have a member of the Godhead residing inside of you. That's the promise from Jesus. That's the significance of this that I'm sending to you so you're not by yourself. So let's look at verses 6 and 7. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Last week, Scott was speaking and he referenced 
verse 3 in this section of scriptures where Jesus is raised from the dead and he spends time with the disciples for 40 days. These 40 days, he didn't just kind of hang out and eat fish with them, even though he did do that one time, right? At least. No, it says for 40 days, he preached the kingdom of God. He explained what was going to happen with the kingdom of God. But if you ask me, I still don't think they fully understand what is going on at this moment because of what they say. Is this the time that you're going to restore Israel? If you've done real estate in this room, you know it's location, 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 right? Like location is everything. And here in this moment, what we see is the disciples are probably missing the location here. They're probably missing the real meaning behind what Jesus is doing. And I can understand why they, why they, why they miss it. Matthew 19, 28, Jesus is talking and he tells his 12 disciples, I'm going to reign someday. And as I reign, I'm going to 12 of you will, will reign with me over the 12 tribes of Israel. Luke 19, 11 expresses to us that they think this will happen all of a sudden. So Jesus says, whoa, guys, <laughs> you've missed the message here. You've missed it. It is not, it is not that you would even know the day or time. The scriptures then indicate that this is not, this is the already Christ is king and yet not to come and something else great, also great is coming as well. The only person that knows the time here is what he says is the father. Now, the work of Christ has been completed. Death, burial, resurrection. But with that being the case, even though the death, burial, and resurrection has been done, there is more to come afterwards. If you're in this room today, if, if you're a Christian in this room today, here's the good news for you. There's still more. Like there's still even greater than, than what we can even fathom according to Scripture, than what we can even dream. More is to come. This is huge for us. But the next time Christ comes, it's not the same way. Like when Christ came in his incarnation, he came as a baby. How vulnerable is a baby, right? What can a baby do on their own? Nothing. They cry every time they need something. They, they all, there's nothing and there's not a, a, a way that Christ could come more humble than a baby. But the next time he comes, Christ is not coming in that form. Christ is coming as king, all-powerful. That's what they are missing here. And we can't miss this as a church because what we understand is, is a king or 
let me say this. What we don't understand a lot of times is because we are from a, a democracy here in America. We don't understand rule. We don't understand reign. We don't understand what it means to actually submit to authority and be, because we know that if we don't like the guy, hopefully we can vote and just move him out later on. But a king has ultimate authority. No one can tell a king what to do. No one can stop a king if he wants to do whatever he wants to do. And Christ is coming as king. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, Christ is not leaving them with nothing but he promises them here power. Now, I'll be honest, I feel like the church a lot of times has taken the message of power and made it something that it's not intended to be. The power that I see here that Christ leaves them with is very clear by, as I look to the end of the verse, what I see. It's the power to be witnesses, and he says, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What I understand about this is this is exactly what happens when we read the book of Acts. What Luke literally does here is when he quotes, when he quotes Jesus' words in the Great Commission, what happens is he also writes Acts to look like this as well. If we were to break Luke's writings on Acts down, you would see through, through chapter 2 through 7, the Holy Spirit comes upon men and they become witnesses in Jerusalem. You see the gospel spread in Jerusalem. If, if you look in Acts 8 through 12, what you would see is that Samaria and Judea are affected by what is happening as it spreads through Jerusalem and Judea. And if you go further, what you see is the kingdom advances all throughout Asia. That the kingdom spreads in Acts exactly what is said is going to happen in the Great Commission. And here's the amazing thing about all this. The power that is given to the disciples in the book of Acts for to, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the, up, to the ends of the earth, we are a part of. Because if you're in this room today, you're in this room because the gospel spread from just disciples to become the church. There are 8 billion people in the world today. 8 billion people. 2.7 confess to be Christians. Now, I'm sure there's some in there. Let's just take a few out just in case somebody thinks they're a Christian. They're not, right? Like, let's just take some things out of there, right? But if we do 2.7, that means 33%. If we even go on the, on the easy end of things, that means 25% of people are in the world confess to be Christians today when it started from 12. What has happened is the power that was sent by the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit has taken the gospel and lit the flames and carried it throughout the world already. But he's not done. The power of the gospel is still happening. 
And it seems to me that every time the gospel is attempted to be stopped is when it gains the most traction. Four years or four decades ago in China, one million people professed to be Christians. In four decades, today there's a hundred million people in China. And the amazing thing about that, the, the mind-blowing thing about that is you can be thrown in prison because having a Bible study is illegal. And yet, the gospel can't be stopped. Why? Because the gospel has power. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit illuminates the gospel, calls you to repentance. And what I feel like happens a lot of times is we miss the real purpose in the power. Because I think a lot, in, in, in some cases, some churches, some, some different ideas. We look at the gifts of the Spirit as the power of the Spirit. But what the power of the Spirit is, is the witnessing power of the Spirit. Don't get me wrong. I, we do believe in gifts of the Spirit. But just so you know, the Holy Spirit's job is always to point back to Jesus Christ. And if at any point the Holy Spirit is not doing the work of pointing back to Jesus Christ, then the, what you are seeing is not Spirit-led. That power is really not the Spirit. Like a lead balloon. Let's go to verse 9. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the part that I feel like is the most forgotten act of Christ. The ascension. That's why I've heard preachers refer to it as forgotten or skipped over often. But don't get me wrong, we often talk about the incarnation of Christ, right? Like Christ is born as a child. We, we celebrate that. We got a whole holiday we wrap around that, right? Like we celebrate that moment. That's a big deal. Then we go into, and we definitely talk about Christ being crucified, buried, and risen. That's huge, foundational. But if we miss the importance of the ascension, then I think the gospel is not fully complete. St. Augustine says this, unless the Savior has ascended into heaven, his nativity would have come to nothing. So what's the big deal with this? All Luke tells us is that Jesus is taken away on a cloud. Does this mean Jesus is done? Does this mean Christ is, is taking sabbatical? 
Guys, peace out. I'm going on vacation. Come back and get you, and it's going to be awesome. I'm like, is, is, is this what he's saying? Like, is, is this what happened? Does, does this mean that he just wanted out? So, so he sent the Holy Spirit because he just, uh, I'm done here. Not in the least. Christ did the work for us while here on earth, but he isn't taking a break. At this very moment, Christ is still not leaving us alone. So what is Christ doing? Well, let's look at Scripture because Christ is doing three different things that I want to point out to you today. First one is this. Christ is prophet. If you would turn with me to Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. If you're like, I didn't have a lot to write down, it's going to be now. says this. Long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he had spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. It says in the Old Testament, spoken to us through the prophets. What are the prophets saying in the Old Testament? We just got through the, the minor prophets, right? Where we were like, one day we would hear like, destruction's coming to you all. The next time you would hear is good things are coming, yo. Like, like you would hear all these different things. Like, and then the next thing is, if you don't get right, turn or burn kind of thing. And then the next thing you'd hear is, you know, we've got somebody coming, going to fix it all. Like, like we would hear all these messages and that's exactly what we see in the Old Testament. The prophets say, tell everybody and pull people back from their sin and say, let go of those things and grasp on to the things of God. And then they give words straight from God. Well, we know in from Hebrews 4.12 is the, the word of God is active. It is, it, is, it is still breathing at this moment. Well, how is that the case? It's because Christ is the great prophet. At this moment, Christ is the great prophet. Everything that you need to know moving forward is it's about Christ. It's about Christ. That that. that and don't get me wrong, people still can move in prophetic ways, but if, if I give my personal opinion, this is my personal opinion, not, not, not even the personal opinion of the church necessarily, it's my personal opinion, I'm just going to tell you, I think Christ was the last prophet. I think there's others who, could, who can work in prophetic moments when the Holy Spirit does the work, but he's the last prophet. Because he calls us out of our sin back to repentance. Back to repentance, back to him. And, and as he does that, how does he do that? Well, we know Christ is what? Christ is the word according to John, right? John chapter 1, Christ is referenced as the word. What happens if we're not careful? We'll look to everybody else for advice. We'll look to this person for advice. Or I just need somebody to tell me the, something about this. Or I just, I just need somebody to, to, to inform me about this. If we miss this, you've missed what you needed. And I'm going to be honest. And, and, 
and you can get mad at me if you want to or whatever, but if you're not in this, you're in trouble. Because if you're not in this, the world's going to tell you a lot of things. Let's face it, you can turn on whatever news station you want to, whether it is, you know, whether you're left or right or, or whatever it might be, and all of them are going to tell you one thing, it's bad, right? What this tells me is even in the bad, I'm okay. No matter what comes in this world, no matter how tough it is, no matter how difficult the situation, no matter if, if there's war tomorrow, if there's famine tomorrow, we know all this, right? From, from Romans chapter 8, no matter what comes, no matter how difficult it is, I'm okay. This word tells me that because I'm his. So when we, when we look to Christ as the prophet, Mom, would we want a word from anything else? This is the voice we need to be listening to. Second thing we see is this. Christ is serving as priest. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might attain mercy and find grace to help and help in time of need. Christ is now our great high priest. He gives us access to the throne of God, to the throne of grace. What really do we, in, in, in our own merit, right? What right do we have to ask God for anything? God gives life to us. God gives everything to us and we prefer the death of sin over the life that he gives what right do we have to ask him anything other than the fact that Christ Christ is our great high priest and gives us access to places where we could not go on our own I don't deserve to be in, in, the, in the holy of holies with God I don't deserve to be in the throne room of grace, and yet the high priest takes me into access to the throne that I cannot get to on my own. Christ not only is there, but he's interceding for us. We see this in Romans 8, 33 through 34. It says, who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. That's what gives you assurance as a Christian. Your high priest is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for you when you fail and you will fail. You have assurance, you have grace. Now, if you hear that this morning and you think, 
well, that means I can do whatever I want. I would ask one simple question. If you're not submitting to the kingly authority of Christ and his desires for you, have no desire to submit to those things, then I'm going to be simple and I'm going to be direct with you. Then is really he your God or are you your own? And the bad news for you is you make a terrible God. If you have no desire to submit to the Lord's authority, then, then I seriously doubt if you can call yourself a part of the kingdom of God if you're not willing to submit to the king. Now with that, I know you're going to fail. But the good news about that is we have the king of kings who is sitting on the throne. And as he sits on the throne, he is also that great high priest who assures you of when you fall. He is saying, hey, I paid for that debt. The great prophet confronts your sin. And the great high priest then has stepped into God's wrath for your sake. Number three, also, and I've kind of alluded to this already, Christ is prophet, he is priest, Christ is also king. When Luke finishes speaking in this section of scriptures, what we see is it just, Jesus rides off, into a, uh, rides off on a cloud, like it, it's, this, it's this moment, right? Like everybody's waiting and looking up and just waiting for what's going to happen next. And all that Luke can write about is from the cloud down. That's all he can see, right? That, that's his perspective. All he can see is that Jesus got so far in the clouds and disappeared. And he doesn't really talk about what happens after that. But it makes us then ask the question, well, where did he go? What did he do? Psalms 2 kind of gives an indication of what God is looking for in his king. It starts off with talking about poor earthly kings. And then it brings us to verse 6 in Psalms 2. This is God speaking. He says, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, if you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. What happens at the ascension is Christ, past the clouds, right, moves on to the throne of God and sits at the right hand of the Father to rule as king. We can see this furthermore in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. It says, I saw in the night vision, and behold, when the clouds of heaven there come like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion 
and the glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and the kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is a kingdom that will not end. We can look at other prophecies in Daniel and see that this kingdom will go on and go on. And as that's the case, what we see in Scripture is in Genesis, God creates humanity. He says, I'm going to give you dominion over these things. And what, is, what does humanity do? Well, we mess that up real good, right? We mess that up real well. So God the Son then takes on human flesh. And does what we cannot do. He, he walks in this depraved world without sin. He suffers the punishment of sin on our behalf through his death. Then he is resurrected, which begins his coronation process. And upon his ascension, he is given the throne. And not just as king, but king of kings and lord of lords. At this very moment, there is no place that your foot can touch on this earth that Christ cannot say, that's mine. which if you ask me as a Christian should give us boldness to walk into places where we're not sure. That are right or maybe dark places that need Jesus. It's already his. If you're a high schooler, you walk into your schools and I, I, I understand what you're, you know, I, I know what you're, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. If you're in college, I know what you're walking into, and yet, in those things, there's nowhere your foot treads in those places that Christ cannot say, that's mine. But Christ just doesn't just ascend. What does, what just blows my mind is that he ascends to the throne still 100% God and still 100% man. At this very moment, seated in heavenly places, Christ as king gives us rights we don't deserve because what we have in this moment in the throne room of God, you have a human Christ sitting on the throne. Now think about that for a second place we probably would not be able to deserve on our own, and yet human, human Christ, I love what Garrett Dawson says in, in his book, Just Ascended. He says, a human hand will grasp us as we make our way into heaven, securing our relationship with the Father. The only reason we belong in heaven is because Christ is there. You ever had access to something because you're in a relationship with somebody? Like, like we, we've been to concerts, right, and things. I've never been that guy who's allowed to go backstage. Apparently, I don't have enough friends. <laughs> but, you know, like, like sometimes you can go backstage because maybe you know somebody who is, you know, maybe you were best friends with somebody who's like uh, the singer's third cousin twice removed or something. And so you're, owed, or you're given access to something that you really don't deserve, you really can't earn, you, you just, maybe because you know somebody. 
At this very moment, Christ is at a place we don't deserve and we have access to the throne room of God because he is there. Christ is our VIP in places where we could not get to on our own. And if you are a Christian, you are in union with Christ and what that means is where he is, you also are because you are in Christ. Someday we will be standing in the presence of a holy God. And none of that is based on our holiness. But it's based on the holiness of Jesus Christ who takes us into places we cannot get to on our own. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, is seated on the throne. And his posture here isn't insignificant. Just like, let, let, let's say you were to go work in your yard today, you would go and, and you, would, you would maybe get in the garden or something, and at the end of it all, well, not today because nothing's going to grow right now, but so let's just say it was, right? Let's say, you, and, and as is the case, like you were in your garden or, or maybe your flower bed or something at your house, you mowed the yard, man. And like, as you do, like, you, you go do those things, you finish, you're like, that's a job complete, that's a job done. What do you do? You walk to your house and you will sit down probably in your recliner, put your feet up and just know that I got something accomplished today. It's done. Christ is seated at the right hand of God, visibly demonstrating that his work of redemption is complete. It is fully accomplished. I don't have this one on the screen. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a front runner on our behalf, having become a high priest for, forever after the order of Melchizedek. Christ as a front runner on our behalf, is taking us into places we don't deserve. But that's not the end of this verse. At, at the end of verse 11, says this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand in the heaven? This is Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. You will come, or from, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. The same way Christ goes is the same way Christ returns. Victorious. What better hope do we have as Christians? I'm going to read another verse real quick. Not on the screen either because it I didn't put it there. Um, Psalms 110, verse 1. This is the most quoted scripture in the New Testament. The Lord says to my Lord, set at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. When Christ returns, Christ is coming in all victory, all enemies have vanquished. As it's the case, all the enemies are his footstool. 
If you ask me, this can't be forgotten. If you ask me, the ascension cannot be skipped over. We have to be willing to celebrate that we have a king and he's on the throne. That's the full gospel message. I'll give my personal opinion again, do with it what you will. But I don't think a gospel presentation is fully complete unless we get to the point to where Christ has ascended and he's on the throne assuring our salvation. But if you don't know him today, we're not in relationship with Christ today, if you've not submitted to his kingly authority, then unfortunately it means nothing to you. The grace that we as Christians have access to, the God that we have access to calls us out of our sin and into relationship. If that's you today, I just tell you, we have something to celebrate as Christians, and I want you part of the celebration. Let's pray.